Good evening, listeners. Today on this first and last episode of The Freedom Factor, we will be covering and questioning examples and history, and the history itself, of the reach of the U.S. government, bringing into question our individual rights in this country, under our Constitution, and also understanding why these events occurred. I'm your host, Maisie Miller, and this is The Freedom Factor. And we open with a landmark case, one that immediately caught my attention, so here it is. Engel versus Vital. This case was discussed and decided in June of 1964, a time when such a topic as the one in question was one that dared not even be questioned. I'm, of course, talking about religion. Going further, the specific amendment in question was, in fact, the First Amendment, the Establishment Clause, to be specific. The Constitution covers the freedom of religion among the rights given to U.S. citizens, and so questioning something so crucial makes this such a landmark case. You know, considering the year that this case was carried out, the freedom of religion portion of the Constitution was heavily used, I should say. American culture is rooted deeply in this liberty, and to violate the question... You know, considering the year that this case was carried out, the freedom of religion portion of the Constitution was heavily used, I should say. American culture is rooted deeply in this liberty, and to violate it, to question it, would definitely raise some eyebrows. So, anyways, after hearing that the Board of New York Regents allowed public prayer at the start of school, it took going all the way up to the Supreme Court to decide that in a majority win, that public schools cannot, in fact, publicly hold prayer to all students. In the ruling, the court stated that they cannot hold prayers in public schools, even if participation is not required and the prayer is not tied to any specific religion. on the significance of this case, I will mention that reminiscent of Justice Stewart's claim, Justice Stewart happens to be the author of dissent for this case, reminiscent of his claim, this case argued that there is no official religion that was established by permitting... More on the significance of this case, you know, reminiscent of... Justice Stewart's claim, Justice Stewart being the author of dissent for this case. Uh, this case argued that there is no official religion that was established by permitting those who wanted to pray to do so, which is very fascinating. We know that Christianity happens to be a very major factor in the lives of the American people, that there happen to be the biggest churches, there happen to be the biggest Religions that happen to be uh, Catholicism, Christianity, non-denominational Christianity, uh, Islam. So very important defending these rights, very important to defend this portion of the Constitution. This reminds me of another case, reminiscent of Engel versus Vital, actually, that I think deserves as much attention considering their common ground. Santa Fe ISD versus Doe another crucial case that more closely defined 
the boundaries of government and civilian being. So this time in 1995, so big jump over time, but still just as valid, just as important, a student elected as Santa Fe High School's student council chaplain delivered a prayer described as overtly Christian over the public address system before each home varsity football game. So later on, one Mormon and one Catholic family filed suit challenging this practice and others under the Establishment Clause of the First Amendment. The district court enjoined the public Santa Fe Independent School District, the district, from implementing its policy as it stood. While the suit was pending, the district adopted a new policy, which permitted but did not require student-initiated and student-led prayer at all the home games, and which authorized two student elections, the first to determine whether invocations, quote-quote invocations, should be delivered at games, and the second to select the spokesperson to deliver them. After the students authorized such prayers and selected a spokesperson, the district court entered an order modifying the policy to permit only non-sectarian prayer. The Court of Appeals held that, even as modified by the district court, the football player policy was invalid. The district petitioned for a writ of certiorari, claiming its policy did not violate the Establishment Clause because the football game messages were private student speech, not public speech. So another question here, continuing on the theme of these two cases, does the Santa Fe Independent School District's policy permitting student-led, student-initiated prayer at football games violate the Establishment Clause of the First Amendment? You know, me being a religious person, I would say... I still would say yes. If I was in the position of look at all points of the argument here, I would be neutral, I would be for, I would be against in my own head. And then I would interpret that. And I would eventually decide that, yes, I would say that it is in fact wrong. It is unfair to other students. And considering that it is a any other representative in office in a higher up position, it, it, it doesn't look good. It doesn't look... Fair, I would say. So as the court concluded majority opinion by John Paul Stevens, yes, the answer is yes. In a 6-3 opinion delivered by Justice John Paul Stevens, the court held that the district's policy permitting student-led, student-initiated prayer at football games violates the Establishment Clause. The court concluded that the football game prayers were public speech authorized by a government policy and taking place on government property, just as I, just as I suspected, at government-sponsored school-related events, and that the district's policy involved both perceived and actual government endorsement of the delivery of prayer at important school events. Such speech is not properly characterized as private, wrote Justice Stevens for the majority. In dissent, Chief Justice William H. Rehnquist, joined by Justices Antonin Scalia and Clarence Thomas, noted the disturbing, quote, disturbing tone of the court's opinion that bristled with hostility to all things religious and public life, they said. So even after establishing the boundaries of something as personal and close to the American people as religion, this does this does work 
I will say that this does work. It does tell you with such landmark cases just how far the government will go, just how far the jurisdiction is held, and also where the lives of the American people begin, where their freedom and their openness is taken into account and not persecuted or considered a violation. And speaking of violation, terrible segue, we move on to the case of Roe v. Wade, a landmark case that set the boundaries for the state in the lives of women and bringing into question their right to abortion. So, the question being, does the Constitution recognize a woman's right, a woman's right to terminate her pregnancy by abortion. More details on this, the question of abortion being addressed by the Constitution brought to question after old Texas law legally prohibited the terminating of a pregnancy by abortion. In the case of Jane Roe versus Henry Wade, this brought into question more facts on this in her lawsuit, Jane Roe, by the way, fake name, Roe alleged that the state laws were unconstitutionally vague and abridged her right of personal privacy, protected by the 1st, 4th, 5th, 9th, and 14th Amendments. But later on, in a 7-2 decision for Jane Roe, in the majority opinion by Harry A. Blackman, the court decided this, inherent in the Due Process Clause of the 14th Amendment, is a fundamental right to privacy that protects a pregnant woman's choice whether to have an abortion. However, this right is balanced against the government's interests in protecting women's health and protecting the potentiality of human life. The Texas law challenged in this violated this right. Justice Harry Blackburn delivered the opinion for the 7-2 majority of the court. First, the court considered whether the case was moot, concluding that it was not. When the subject of litigation is capable of repetition yet evading review, a case need not be dismissed as moot. Pregnancy is, quote, a classic justification for a conclusion of non-mootness. So the Due Process Clause of the 14th Amendment protects against state action to the right to privacy, and a woman's right to choose to have an abortion falls within that right to privacy. A state law that broadly prohibits abortion without respect to the state of the pregnancy or other interests violates that right. Although the state has legitimate interests in protecting the health of pregnant women and potentiality of human life, the relative weight of each of these interests varies over the course of pregnancy, and the laws must account for this variability. The state found that in the first trimester of pregnancy, only the woman and her attending physician can make that choice. In the second trimester, the state can impose regulations on abortion that are reasonably related to the maternal health. And in the third trimester, once the fetus reaches the point of, quote, viability, a state may regulate abortions or prohibit them entirely, so long as the laws contain exceptions for cases when abortion is necessary to save the life or maintain the health of the mother. I tell you, this is a sign of the time. What year was this? 1973. 1973, still very major decisions being made. I heard earlier that it took a national disaster, 9-11, to build an entire office dedicated to the national security of the United States. 
very interesting to regulate these things, to regulate just how far we will go of a child in the decision made by the woman or by the family. Lastly, nearing the end of our observations, let's look at one more landmark case. This one being the Planned Parenthood of Southeastern Pennsylvania versus Casey. Something as massive as national security to something as personal and private as the abortion. This case is especially interesting because it really brought out the opinions. And this taking place in 1992, you can probably guess that the Chief Justice is... Yeah, Chief Justice William Rehnquist, within these court justices. But more about the case, Planned Parenthood versus Casey case. This reviews its liberties, this reviews just what is open to be allowed to the woman in her pregnancy. Is, in fact, another abortion control, whether she decides to abort or to keep that child, and whether the reach goes only as far as a woman having the child or to the family, to the mother, to the husband. More facts about this case again in 1988, 1989, the Pennsylvania legislature amended its abortion control law. And among these new provisions, the law required the woman informed consent to either their husband or if they were a minor, their mother, along with a 24 hour waiting period Altogether, these provisions were challenged by several abortion clinics and physicians, saying that they should not be as strict as they are. And in a federal appeals court, upheld all the provisions except for the husband notification requirement. In the end. So in this case, the question arises, can a state require women who want an abortion to obtain informed consent? Wait 24 hours? If married, notify their husbands, if their minors obtain parental consent without violating their right to abortion as guaranteed by Roe v. Wade. Later on, and not surprisingly to me, the court was pretty close on this. This was a 5-4 to four decision for Planned Parenthood of Southern Eastern Pennsylvania, relying on a new undue burden standard to assess abortion restrictions, a deeply divided bench upheld all but one of several Pennsylvania restrictions on women's abortions. Citing OES.org, it says that in a bitter 5-4 to four decision, the court again reaffirmed Roe, but it upheld most of the Pennsylvania provisions. For the first time, the justices imposed a new standard to determine the validity of laws restricting abortions. The new standard asks whether a state abortion regulation has the purpose or effect of imposing an undue burden, which is defined as a substantial obstacle in the path of a woman seeking an abortion before the fetus attains viability. Under these standards, the only provision to fail the undue burden test was the husband notification requirement. And this was so conflicting that... It even specified that only one of these provisions, one of these specific details of the provisions be left out. And in a rare step, the opinion for the court was crafted and authored by not one, but three justices. Justices O'Connor, Kennedy, and Souter. 
so similar to Roe v. Wade. In fact, it, it does reference Roe v. Wade, and it does go off of and reaffirm the acts of Roe v. Wade and its findings. More on its significance, the ruling of the case was the affirmation of Roe v. Wade, yes, that the state prohibited from banning most abortions. You know, this, in my view, is where it gets intimate between the government and the courts and the people of the United States. When bringing into question so many close and private and intimate factors, such as the choice of an abortion or the ability to pray in public, questioning one's religion, questioning its extent in public, even if it is demonstrated in a government-funded school or in government-funded facilities where abortions are carried out. These cases work so well to define the reach of these officials. And I think that it is so important that we do draw these lines, that we do understand what our boundaries are as far as what is considered right, obviously, because these are reviewed by Supreme Court. Big officials that are called your honor, we refer to them as your honor because they do not lie. These establish what is right, and they establish how far we're willing to go for the security of our privacy, for the security of the well-being of the United States people, and just what is entitled to them. Personally, I do believe in most Christian values, and I happen to not be pro-abortion. But fair is fair. I will say that fair is fair. And these honorable people, these Supreme Court justices, have defined this. It's been stated clearly and plainly. Beyond these cases, there are most likely more that even more specifically define the boundaries of a woman's abortion, of religion in the public sector, in the public area, especially when funded by the government.